This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Speaking of magic and speaking of Justin Fields, let's take a look at our deep dive into QB1. Okay, Dan, defining moment every week, we're going to look at Justin Fields a little bit closer because of obvious reasons. He is the guy and this season is devoted much to his development and a lot to look at yesterday. It's being hailed a little bit too universally for my taste, a little bit too much of a consensus that this was uh, progress and easy, no easy to see because maybe I'm not seeing the same things a lot of analysts are. I don't know if we can just say total progress. There was a lot to like maybe, but there was a lot to be concerned about. What was his defining moment in your view? First of all, let me say this. As a golfer, I will tell you that if I make three triple bogeys and I come back on the fourth hole and I make a double bogey, it might be progress, but my round's not back on track, right? Like, so let's, let's, let's get it straight here, right? Like, let, let, let's make sure we clarify what we're talking about as far as progress. And so I, I just, you can't be That's excited. Analogy. You, can't, analogy. you cannot be excited about what happened on Sunday afternoon. The, the defining moment for me comes with 3.11 left in the first half. And this is a play that's been talked a lot about in the uh, 24 hours after the game. It's, it's a, a, a play in which Justin Fields has a four verticals concept sent in and he takes a snap and Darnell Mooney offers up on, on Monday that he actually ran his route consistent with the 2021 Matt Nagy playbook more than what he was supposed to do in the 2022 Luke Getze playbook, which is a notable mistake because on his vertical route, Mooney is supposed to bend toward the right hash a little bit, and instead he runs straight. That said, Justin Fields has the cleanest pocket he saw all day. The protection held up perfectly. Mooney takes advantage of a coverage bust and runs right up the seam, and there's a 35-yard touchdown pass just sitting on the table for the Bears. It's a grooved fastball right over the middle of the plate. Justin's just got to swing and put that thing in the bleachers like he did at Wrigley Field over the summer (laughs) on the field trip, right? And he decides not to for whatever reason. Is it because he's uncomfortable back there? Is it because he's anticipating pressure? He drops his eyes. He takes off running through a clean pocket. And ultimately, David, he picks up 12 yards. And it's a a, a third and 10 conversion with a scramble run. And this is why I've said for a while now that we have to make sure that we separate play results from play processes and decision-making. And it was a prime example of Justin making a play that moved the chains and kept the Bears in scoring range, but also left a huge home run on the table. And so we followed up today with Matt Eberflus to get his diagnosis on that play and kind of the, the back and forth and the ebb and flow of what should have gone on there. Here was Matt's response to, to my question about that play. That's a very basic play. You know, that's just, you know, vertical, you know, you know four vertical play. And, you know, and Mooney that, on that one is actually supposed to be bending across the formation, you know. He's supposed to be bending across. He wasn't that supposed to go vertical. So I think that kind of caught him off guard a little bit. But uh, he certainly had time on that. Yeah, he certainly had time and could have rode the pocket there a little bit more. But uh, he decided to take it because what we were telling him is, is that to take the check down or run on that when they were in that defense. Translation, David, egregious error, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, that's what Matt Eberflew, that's as close as he's going to come on the Monday after a game to, to criticizing his quarterback. It's it's one that they left on the table. Uh, they can't afford that. Since you like the, na- the last analogy, I'll give you another one. I like to drive 
80 miles an hour down the, the highway. I know it's illegal, but I like to drive 80 miles an hour down the highway. Sometimes a truck in front of me will put its brake lights on. My responsibility is to get in that other lane and slow down, right? Or do something to adjust to the actual circumstances and conditions in front of me. And Justin did not do so on that play. Uh, he didn't let his eyes see what they're supposed to see. And then even worse than all that, David, at the end of the scramble, he ran into a hit. Right. Like he had an opportunity at the end of a run to get out to the right, get the first down, get out of bounds and save his body from another hit. And he took a hit at the end of it. So there are about four things wrong in the decision making and the execution and everything that Justin did there that we have to put the magnifying glass on. Before I get to mine, I want to ask you a question. Do you think not yes or no? How far away are the Bears and Justin Fields from him pulling the trigger in a situation like that from not being so worried about what he is supposed to do on this play and what he's supposed to read because you could almost see when he's dropping back the process he's going through his mind and and the everything re- connected to this and it's almost like you can see his mind working you don't want to see that no, how no. far are we from seeing him just react in the way the great quarterbacks do and it doesn't matter if that play was called it doesn't matter if that route was the one that's supposed to be run he's open i'm going to hit him because we're going to score I sat in the shotgun seat of my dad's car on more than one occasion after a sporting event. And he would say, don't think you hurt the team. And that was, that was his catchphrase. And that's what you're talking about right here. The wheels turning, right. And, and, and turning too much to, to in, in a way where you miss big play opportunities because you're just not there. Listen, a lot of this is about pocket presence. A lot of this is about pocket poise and feel and knowing how to shuffle, knowing how to climb, knowing how to climb and reset and do all these different things within the pocket that we've been talking about now for two months, right? And, and so Justin's got to make strides with that that show up on game days. The coaching staff continues to talk about it. He's going to improve. He's going to get more experience. He's going to get a better feel the more he experiences it. But boy, you got to ha- have some examples where you say, that's it. That's that's what we're looking for. And fewer of these examples where we spend four and a half minutes breaking down a play that should have been a touchdown and instead uh, ended up on a drive that that uh, stalled with a field goal. That's a good one. Okay, I'll get to mine quickly. So it's first and 10. I think they're at the Giants 12. And it's still early in the game. And I feel like, I think it was Cole Komet that was open. And Justin Fields took a two-yard sack. And I just think, again, that was a situation where is it asking too much to think that he could have gotten rid of the ball in that situation, Dan? No. Um, is it, is it thinking too much to think that, okay, at that point in time, don't take the sack, get rid of the football, read the read the moment and react to it in a way that, that sets you apart and makes you special. Because what happened there was it was first and 10 at the giant 12. You're yeah. in the red zone and you, you hey, look, Luke gets his call on a pass. That never happens. And all of a sudden you get sacked because you can't pull the trigger. So what happens on second and 12? Khalil Herbert up the middle. What happens on third and three? Khalil Herbert up the middle. You lose your nerve if you are a play caller and Justin Fields puts you in that position, I think, in a defining way because, yeah, we can talk about the conservative approach and and how Luke Getze's not taking chances. Why isn't he taking chances? He doesn't trust the quarterback. And And he's been given reason not to. Exactly. He's not doing it because he doesn't like him. He doesn't do it because he, the skill set doesn't fit the scheme. He's unwilling to build around him. It's because he's been given reason to doubt him. And it's not pundits and talk radio guys and beat guys, whatever. It's second and 12 because you took a sack you didn't need to take. Get rid of the football, move the chains, take the gimme, 
And to me, that was defining because, yeah, there were six sacks. Yes, there were 34 passes called. How many runs were tucking runs where you didn't need to be? How many sacks were responsible because he held on to the ball too long? I don't want to pick on the kid. I think you have something to work with. I'm just saying right now, right now, I'm straining to see the progress that other people are celebrating. There's no question about it. Three footnotes on that very play that you mentioned. Justin said after the game on Sunday evening that he was expecting the defensive end to to follow Komet. And he didn't. Okay. Again, this goes back to reacting to what you're actually seeing versus what you're anticipating pre-snap and making sure that you have that instinctive nature to you as you go through it. Darnell Mooney offers up on on Monday afternoon that he made a mistake on his route on that play, that he got in the the huddle and and heard a a formation that didn't trigger with him. And he did something that he wasn't supposed to do. This is like about the fifth or sixth example. And I love Darnell, but this is like the fifth or sixth example in the last three weeks or so where, where he's done something that he wasn't supposed to do by design. And so you say, boy, is there too much on his plate? What's going on here? It's a question for later in the week for Luke Getze. The other thing that I wanted to bring up here is second and 12 was a nine-yard run to Khalil Herbert. Yeah, I know you said it's Khalil Herbert up the middle. Well, Khalil Herbert up the middle got you nine yards. If you had taken those four to five yards to Cole Komet in the flat, that puts you in the end zone, and we're not having this conversation here, right? And so so all of these things have ripple effects, and, and they're cumulative, and, and so they, they've got to figure out a way to get that unlocked. And people get fixated on they've, done, they've run the ball X amount of times versus throwing the ball. Well, there's a lot of passing plays being called that result in either a, a tuck-and-run sack or a tuck-and-run scramble or something else, and they've got to get that number down, down, down quickly. And it was Cole commit on that play i had just blocked him from my memory bank because i was so sick of the tight end screen that they went to one time too <laughs> often so okay so that was the defining moment for both of us how about on the bright side let's think, keep things positive was there a bright side for you dan i mean we may share the same one here but obviously the the 56 yard deep ball to darnell mooney's is it's the longest play of the season to date right it's 56 yards it's a beautiful pass by justin fields a beautiful catch by darnell mooney on a day where it's not easy we talked about the kicking conditions well it's the same when you're throwing deep and, and Justin just threw a dime and, and and showed a good combination of arm strength and touch there and put it where only his guy could get it and that was the start of a day in which Darnell had a season high 94 yards I would like to think that that's not going to stay his season high for for, for for much longer right that they get him unlocked with a day like that and now the next week you get 111 maybe you get a day where you get 140 what a wide receiver with 140 yards for the Chicago Bears maybe you score one week right maybe the, there's a receiver on the Chicago Bears that scores a touchdown at some point but certainly this was supposed to be a positive segment so let's just highlight the fact that they connected for 56 yards there that's a good one that was a great throw he can still throw the deep ball that was encouraging to see i'll go with another pass that i think was it could have been a little bit better thrown maybe but i think dante pettis has to help his quarterback help himself and dante pettis the ball was put where it needed to be he should have made the catch and he came down with a drop and that he was targeted three times, zero catches. That was one he should have made. You have to rely on veterans to pull your young quarterback through situations like these. And he didn't do it. So that was a bright spot, if you will, on the bright side for <laughs> Justin Fields, because it was at least the ball where it needed to be. And that helped uh, help happens, you know, not that often this season. Let me ask you this on that specific play. Do you blame that incompletion on Ryan Poles? <laughs> on Ryan Poles? I asked that because Dante Pettis was a wide receiver signed your receiving core on May 11th, right? Okay. This wasn't this wasn't like this is a, a third wave free agency, fourth wave free agency veteran cast off where if you have a playmaker, right, like a lot of quarterbacks have, that play is made, right? And the chains right. move and, and and so I'm just curious, it, it, does this go back to the idea that they didn't get him enough I'll help in this. the passing game? 
you could have had a wide receiver that had the travel schedule and itinerary of Michael <laughs> Badgley last week. And if he's on the field and he's in the cover, okay. he's covered like that, you come down with the football or else he shouldn't be in an NFL uniform. That's okay. my first reaction is that, okay, I don't care if Dante Pettis has been here five months or five years. you got to catch the ball when they throw it to you. Never thought we'd be fighting over Dante Pettis here on the Take the North podcast, but we had it. There we are. Just All right, there we are. Worth asking. Let's go to our uh-oh moment. What was yours? So I'm going to have to streamline this because it would take too long. But my own moment is the entire second quarter. The Bears had four possessions in that quarter. And when I went back on my rewatch on Monday morning and went through every single play of that quarter, it was, as I tweeted, just boxes full of evidence for the Luke Getze defense team, right? These people that say Luke's got to turn Justin loose. They got to be, be willing to take some, some, some shot, shots down the field in the passing game. Well, they called a lot of passing plays that were set up to, to produce plays down the field. And the, the player execution was abysmal. Sometimes it was pa- protection issues like on the fumble, right? Where you, you get a center and a left tackle beat and it prevents you from hitting a crosser. Equinemius St. Brown it has a perfect screen set for him by Cole Komet and is coming wide open for what's going to be a big game. But guess what? Two of your five linemen don't hold up. Your quarterback gets hit and you fumbled. There's the play that we talked about with, with Fields not seeing Mooney deep down the, the field. There, there are nine plays in the second quarter where you can circle and say this was a pass play that was designed to get something down the field and the players screwed it up, right? And so maybe Luke deserves some accountability for not coaching it or teaching it well enough for them to execute at this stage. But the idea that all they're doing is running and they're not giving Justin an opportunity to throw, I challenge anyone, go back through that second quarter, watch every single play in there and tell me that you don't see opportunities to to, uh, be productive in the passing game that were just missed because they're not good enough. I'm with you. Well put. I have some serious concerns and reservations about where this is headed, but I want to stay consistent and not make uh, conclusions. Criticizing is not concluding. We're just uh, doing this in real time along the way, but I do think you make some really good points. I'm going to save my uh-oh moment for post <laughs> for post game. You know, there were enough during the game to raise some red flags. I did not like uh, what I heard post game, and I don't want to overreact to something that's said at the podium from a frustrated 23 year old. I want to respect the fact that he's still cooling off. But you got to recognize when your passing game's not producing, and when he was asked. Uh, something about the passing game, and he snapped back. It, I think it was Jason Leeser's question yes. from the Sun Times, who said uh, the passing game isn't working. Who said the passing game wasn't working. <laughs> only everybody, <laughs> right? Only the numbers, only every statistic that matters, only the metrics, every the eye test, yeah, every eye test that this passing game has failed. Look, look, I understand that in that moment that you don't want to be asked about what you do the worst and nobody wants to fake, but you are the franchise quarterback and you should be prepared for questions like that. And when you come at it that way, it shows an obliviousness that you don't want to be known for. And I think when Matt Eberflus, frankly, talked about the positivity in the passing game, you know, I don't, it was hard to see progress without a microscope, I, right. I, just from my standpoint. So I think that that was to me, an uh-oh moment because things might get worse before they get better. And I hope that Justin Fields is equipped for the ride. Yeah, yeah. We'll see where it goes. But they, they have got a long way to go, certainly, to, to make anyone feel good. 
Okay, let's go to the big number. My big number to wrap up the QB1 segment is uh, 0.77, David. And I'm going to bring this number up uh, and update it almost weekly because that's the completions per possession average for the Bears through four games. Okay, it's it's astounding that the Bears can't even get to one completion per possession on their average. Only 11 completions and 12 possessions on Sunday against the Giants uh, for the year. It's 34 completions on 44 possessions gross right that's only one word for that and it's gross well dan my big number is 34 and you can correct me if it's not 34 but i went through and watched it and i think that you even may have referenced this but i think 34 is the number of pass plays that were called correct. 34 pass plays 22 pass attempts six sacks and then there were the tuck and runs which i think can often be attributed to poor protection, can often be attributed to inexperience because you're just not waiting long enough, perhaps. But I do think that 34 is the big number to me because it represents a a shift in a direction. Now, you're not just being as conservative as maybe you're being accused of being, Luke Getze, that you're willing to throw the ball or at least call passing plays and trusting your quarterback. Now, I still don't believe that he trusts him as much as he needs to. And I don't think that he trusts him as much as maybe as much as maybe we expected him to four games into the season. But calling 34 pass plays out of 60 snaps is more than half. You can do the math. There's yeah. There would be no math, but it's more than half of the plays that you ran from scrimmage. So that, to me, does not scream conservatism. It screams that you want to give a chance to a guy to make a play. He just got to make them now. Right, and the Bears were never down by by more than one score, right? So they were they were within arm's length at, at most of the game, and so it's not like, you know, you were chasing three scores and you were sticking to the run. They were within a score, right? And so it all takes is one touchdown drive at any point in that game to get yourself equal or 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 ahead. And and so look, I I I, I was looking for evidence that the play calling was atrocious on on Sunday. I didn't find it. I didn't find it. I found that the play was atrocious, and, and I, I hope that our audience and Chicago Bears fans as a whole. Uh, take a moment to kind of reassess that knee-jerk outrage that they had. It's really easy to do in this town. They've been through it a number of times before. Shoop is poop, right? Like that that started it way back in the day. One of my favorite signs from Soldier Field. And so, look, it's its just, it's like almost impulse here is to, to criticize the play caller, criticize the play caller, say the offense is too conservative. When you go back and, and, and you scour the video, you say, nope. Not, not, not even supported by a little bit of it. So, were there were there conservative play calls in here? Absolutely, a handful of them. But, but on the whole, the the, the game plan was uh, was was solid, and they just didn't they didn't execute.